Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with ESPN senior writer Baxter Holmes on a day that will stand relatively monumental in the NBA. The Robert Sarver era is over in Phoenix. He is finalizing a deal to sell the Suns to Matt Ishbia, who is a billionaire out of Michigan uh, in the mortgage lending business. Ishbia is someone who has very much wanted to own an NBA team. He has knocked on the door on a number of teams and NFL teams, but finally moves aggressively, quickly, and at $4 billion, makes a record-setting bid, and, and Sarver accepts the offer, and he'll get He'll he'll race through the vetting with the NBA and and through the vote of the board of governors. They, they couldn't wait to get Robert Sarver out of this league. Uh, he is on his way out. And Baxter, from the very beginning, and this sale of this team is not happening. If you don't publish the story, you did. Uh, I've lost track of when it was. Eighteen months ago, Baxter. Yeah, yeah, November twenty twenty one. Right, which uncovered and was driving force and obviously the NBA's investigation into Sarver, which confirmed Baxter's reporting and 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 essentially showed an environment that was, um, to, to say the least, a, a hostile and tumultuous work environment in Phoenix. So Sarver's out, Ishbia is in, and just your reaction, Baxter, of uh, seeing this day come that maybe felt inevitable, but it is not easy to have ownership change in the NBA. People don't want to give these teams up. And and Robert Sarver, uh, with a one-year suspension, a $10 million fine, I think felt backed into a corner and knew he couldn't go on as an owner and and moves quickly here, to relatively quickly, to sell the team. Yeah, I mean, we're almost two months to the day after he announced on September 21st of this year that he was going to be proceeding with the sale of the Suns and the Mercury. So two months feels pretty quick, but in my talks with um, investment bankers who are familiar with the sales of professional sports teams, you know, they outlined very quickly, they expect this to set a record price uh, because of the attractiveness of the Phoenix market, you know, renovated arena, new practice facility, proximity to Vegas, proximity to LA, not a far flight from the Bay Area. You know, you've talked before how uh, Phoenix and the Suns are, have often been considered a sleeping giant, potential free agent destination. Uh, the team is good now. You know, uh, that's something that's certainly attractive, some some star players there. So they expected that this team would fetch a record price. Now, internally, executives at the Suns told employees, I think in, I want to say in September, maybe early October, um, or but somewhere soon after Robert announced that they expected this to take six to nine months for a fully executed sale. Now, understanding that these things can drag on, what investment banking officials told me was that if there is an especially motivated buyer, someone with deep pockets, access to a lot of money quickly, and someone that the NBA knows well, because there is a vetting process. If they get someone who they don't know and Maybe it's a foreign investor and they're going to do their due diligence with background checks and financial checks and criminal checks and all kinds of other things uh, before they they allow someone to leave. But if it's someone that they know and it's, say, 
someone maybe that they vetted before, this can move pretty quickly. But still, you know, in my talks today with members of the current Sons Ownership Group, with current Sons employees and executives, they're still processing the speed at which this is all happening. Um, and then there's also this realization of like, wow, going to have a new owner, um, you know, wanting that new owner to clean house at the top. Obviously, Robert's not there anymore. But as I reported uh, yesterday, uh, there are still some senior uh, Phoenix Suns executives who staff have felt are complicit in the, in the workplace culture that existed under Robert and, and specifically committed uh, alleged mis misconduct during his time there. So yeah, there's a there's a lot happening. Um, I don't know that I expected it this soon, but that little caveat, if there's an especially motivated buyer, this thing can be quick. And you touched on it. You know, he's been wanting to do this for a while. He's been wanting to get in. Yeah. And I think, you know, he built his fortune. Uh, Ishbia is a former Michigan State basketball player, was a walk-on, was there when uh, won the national title in 2000 for Tom Izzo, went to three Final Fours, remains really close with that program with Tom Izzo, gave $32 million a few years ago to the program. And listen, he has been knocking on the door of a number of teams I think he would have loved to get at Detroit, at Indiana, at Milwaukee. Those teams have not been for sale, I think, elsewhere around the league. And the NFL, I think he had interest and tried to be involved in the processes in Denver and other places. And Phoenix, I think you just saw uh, his, you know, a team. I, I think there's a lot of parallels here with um, Ishbia and Steve Ballmer, Phoenix and Clippers, both distressed situations where there was essentially a forced sale um, there and both record prices or record uh prices at the time to buy a team. And I think uh, Ishbia, is, he's not Steve Ballmer, but but there's a lot of similarities. An enthusiastic guy, a positive guy, a guy who's known for, you know, I think the his company in Michigan, United Wholesale Mortgage, has been, you know, it's been known as just a, a place people love working, a great culture, a great environment. They've obviously had tremendous success there. And I think I would imagine his initial priority in Phoenix is going to be moving quickly to try to make as many changes as he can in that work environment. I think basketball, Monty Williams as head coach, you know, James Johnson was an executive of the year in the NBA recently, uh, certainly, but I think on the business side, all the places that you've reported on so much, Baxter, uh, I, I would imagine that's going to be a priority uh, for him. But I think this is from a basketball point of view, Phoenix pre-Robert Sarver, back in the Jerry Colangelo years, it was a place players wanted to play. Warm weather, close to LA, close to Vegas, um, low taxes there, state taxes. There. It's, it's a place that's athlete-friendly financially, and they should be, and I've heard general managers around the league talk about this for years agents talk about this players talk about this you know the clippers they had periods of, of of very good players who went there more based on circumstances when uh donald sterling was there but you, you you went to spite him and you went to spite robert sarver and so having this kind of ownership in phoenix i think 
you may see, I think you are likely to see what's happened with the Clippers, where it's become a place guys want to play. You're in L.A. They've got a new arena, obviously, going up state-of-the-art in L.A. And so I think for the NBA, certainly, but if you're a Suns fan, this is this is a great day. This is an organization that I think moving forward has everything it needs to compete for big players. Listen, when Kevin Durant asked for a trade out of Brooklyn in the summer, Phoenix was at the top of his list. Now it was a chance to play with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and be really the final link that they needed, I think, to, to try to win a championship. But but I do think location and location was a big part of it. Yeah, and I love the parallel that you made with the Clippers. Um, and granted, you know, there's various differences between the two organizations, between the net wealth of Steve Ballmer um, and, and, and what we have here. But it made me think of the situation kind of like distressed organization, you know, dealing with scandal, wanting to move on. And then you have an especially motivated buyer that's spending, you know, what then and now a record amount of money. You know, I've heard I, I've heard from one bidder. Um, involved in the process who, you know, made a remark about Matt over overbidding for the team. But as you know, and as I know, like, look, these teams do not come up for sale very often. These are crown jewels for, and, and the Phoenix Suns, for all the reasons you just mentioned, is a crown jewel of the NBA. If you look at their historic, uh, or th their their winning percentage over history, you know, all throughout Jerry Colangelo's era, and then um, even the first few years, that team was kind of built to win uh, when the transition was made and Robert Sarver bought the team. And then you had the seven seconds or less era. It has so many things going for it. And certainly all the things um, that are that are going for it now, you know, the quality of the team, the basketball infrastructure that's in place, physical uh, infrastructure, you know, the, the, the city is a buzz again with the success of the team. Um, you know, their record last year, going to the finals the year before that, all of that, like everything is on the upswing in Phoenix. Um, I, it, it is still, you know, moving on from 18 years under Robert, Robert Sarver, all the employees that have passed through all the, the decade of malaise when the Phoenix Suns just seemed to be, you know, they were uh, perennially, perennially at the bottom of the standings you know, drafting high in the lottery and you saw so many head coaches come and go and other executives and whatnot, so much turnover, but there's finally a sense of stability and success for the team, all these things going forward. And now this, you know, this closes the book for Robert. I mean, make no mistake while he is going to be leaving as his tenure's owner, he's going to be leaving with a significant amount of money. Um, I don't know, you know, necessarily what's next for him um, in business, you know, in sports in whatever, um, but he's making out quite well financially in the very end. I'm not sure yet, um, you know, where it stands with if he's just selling his stake or if he's selling all these stakes of or, or the entire. Yeah, I think 100%. that's going to clarify itself here soon. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have some we'll have some more answers as as to the particulars. But just in the ending of the Robert Sarver era, it is it is momentous um, in Phoenix. I think around the NBA uh, for so many reasons, uh, many of which. You outline. So yeah, this is a huge day. Yeah, and I think uh, Ishbia is the kind of owner that the league wants to get in. Donald Sterling, Robert Sarver, you know, these were, you know, these were ownership groups that were generally reviled by their peers. Uh, there's not a lot 
the league has shown a willingness to do to to be proactive in moving them out. It needed your reporting, the Donald Sterling tapes. You know that was what was necessary to expedite what they knew. What they knew were toxic environments, were, were individuals that they didn't want representing them, but that they allowed in the league. And Sterling had been in much longer, Sar- Sarver a shorter period of time. Uh, but I do think it's a good lesson for the league moving forward about being proactive when these situations start to arise and knowing what's going on in these places and having a sense of it and not waiting for it to not not allowing people to have to work in these environments for such a long period of time. And so I think getting Ishbia in there, he, Adam Silver knows him. He has gotten to know him the last few years. I think he has helped. There's a lot of people who want to buy NBA teams and who want to get to know the commissioner and they want to get to know other owners. And I think one thing Ishbia has done a really good job of is not just chasing teams and, and trying to buy them, but but preparing himself for when he did own does own a team, how you run a team, what are the best practices. Uh, he's an enthusiastic guy. He's a positive guy. I think he coaches his kids' team, kids' teams in Michigan. Uh, obviously played at a pretty high level at Michigan State and, and knows the game, but also has a reputation for hiring good people, letting them do their job. I don't think this is going to be Mark Cuban uh, having – I don't think this is going to be a de facto – GM. I mean, Robert Sarver was a de facto basketball executive for a long time. He made a lot of personnel decisions there. Uh, very few of them went very well. And so I, I do think, though, uh, Matt Ishbia, his brother Justin, will come in as part of the leadership group. Um, you know, this is for the NBA the closing of a chapter that could have dragged out. Robert Sarver could have played out this year suspension. He could have played out the sales process uh, again, but he had somebody who came in and and blew him away with an offer. And now I think the other owners are thrilled. They see this kind of $4 billion valuation on a a team that's not considered a big market, not considered a situation with a great arena um, deal for the team. It's, there are a lot of places that are more, you look and say, hey, that's that team in that city would go for significantly more than $4 billion based on uh, the money-making and, and, and the revenue. So Players Association is going to be – is thrilled. They're in the middle of labor talks with the league. They don't want to hear from the league anymore that it's not profitable to own teams in small markets. You know, we see now the accruement of value over time. And so that'll be interesting to see how that impacts – the, the, the union's conversations with the league, the players in the league, on how they how they view uh, this kind of sale. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if there's more owners who decide it's time to cash out. And again, Ishbia knocked on the door of a number of teams and, and in the end pushed really hard here in Phoenix and gets this thing done by the new year. Yeah, and, and you touched on something that I wanted to piggyback on um, real quick there with respect to like owners that the league knew or had to have had some sense of knowing, uh, you know, otherwise it'd just be pure negligence uh, about the work environment either or whispers about the work environment or the culture. You know, what we've seen obviously in recent years is it's really hard for, for an owner to be removed. You know, there can be, and, and oftentimes it takes outside pressure, whether it's 
a story, you know, investigative report that's published or a tape or something like that. And this is conjecture for me, but I, I would say that I'd have to imagine on some level that the league is maybe more mindful of who gets to become an owner and what that vetting process looks like and whatnot, because they're representing them. And the league has faced, you know, look, the Clippers, the Hawks, now the Suns. In recent years, some very large scandalous situations tying back to ownership and their conduct, uh, specifically with respect to race. Um, and I, I think that, yeah, that this, you know, whatever the, the new wave of owners will be in the future and who's, you know, I'll, I'll be interested, as, as you rightly point out, with this kind of price tag, if other owners are like, man, I only paid X amount for it, I could cash out, get this kind of huge figure, especially if it's a team that isn't in a, in a New York or an LA or a San Francisco market. If they're getting, if the Suns are worth this, then, you know, who's to say? But I think this is, is an inflection point for the league with respect to who owns teams, who are they as people, who are they as leaders, what kind of culture are they going to be in charge of? Um, and, and and how in some ways are we as a league, I know Adam Silver talked about this in, in a meeting with Phoenix Suns employees uh, not long ago that I reported on, that uh, wanting to have more checks and balances in place for understanding what the work culture is is like, you know, if that's if that's having regular talks with human resources managers around the leagues or other processes processes beyond a hotline uh, that people can call. But yeah, this is an inflection point. You know, again, thinking about the turnover that's happened between the Clippers, the Hawks, and this team now, and and the reasons for those for those sales. Um, but yeah, positivity and look, there's certainly a lot of hope there. This is an opportunity, uh, but there would be a lot of ripple effects for all the things you just mentioned. What sales? How this could impact valuations around the league? How it can impact uh, negotiations with the union, um, all of these things, it'll, there'll be a lot of impact. I think a lot of owners are waiting to see, it may be a chicken in the egg here on whether the CBA gets done, the collective bargaining agreement, and then the media deal, or does the media deal get done then with a new CBA, but they expect to make exp ex exponentially more money on the next media deal. And the NBA still drives sort of that 40 and under audience. And so while the numbers may be significantly less than the NFL in a lot of cases, it's it's who the audience is that speaks to um you know the 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 money that is is available to them in, in a rights deal. And one thing that I wanted to piggyback on or on that point. So in talking to different investment bankers and we were kind of talking about like, you know, why they expected the Phoenix Suns to attract such a big deal. You know, you you mentioned rightly uh, you know, expectations that the, the NBA's next media rights deal, you know, would would help kind of increase the uh, price, push that up more. Um, and and I had heard that 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 the uh, the team that 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 was mentioned a lot into the marketing materials. Um, but the other thing that was was mentioned to me from people who have sold professional franchises across different leagues was the the NBA being such a global game, you know, and the fact that. It's emerging among amongst a younger demographic in so many other places around the world, so many other continents. They just said, this is one of the things that makes the NBA teams, when they do come up for sale, uh, very attractive, is the fact that it's a younger audience that's growing more globally. It certainly has, you know, a, a lot of excitement here, but, you know, they said, look, when you... 
when you travel around and when you hear, you see, you know, and, and you can see it in the social media metrics, you can see it in all kinds of metrics. Uh, but it's just such a popular game in that way. And they were kind of comparing, like, here's what it looks like for baseball. Here's what it looks like for hockey. Like, you know, what it looks like domestically, what it looks like internationally, all these other things. But they were like basketball and the NBA is unique in that way. And for all these reasons, again, the, the next media rights deal being a huge one, there was this expectation that it was going to go for, you know, a record deal and specifically in the neighborhood of four billion. So, you know, I know that that is a big number. Um, I'm not, you know, from from the people who I talk to, and I, I, I know you talk to a lot of people too, I probably expected this kind of number. Um, and for some of the other factors we talked about, you know, why Phoenix is such an attractive market and all the things that are going on there right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, if a team like the Knicks ever comes up or the Lakers, I mean, or whatever, it really makes me wonder what that number is going to look like. No, that's right. And so, uh, uh, Baxter, tremendous work over a very long period of time on this Phoenix Suns story on Robert Sarver and continuing right until, you know, the story you posted earlier this week comes right. Uh, it came, as it turns out, right on the cusp of a deal getting done with Matt Ishbia as the new Suns owner. They're finalizing that deal now, and I, I'm told to expect announce, an announcement here in the near future. And then, you know, there'll be a, a period of time here until he's uh, the Board of Governors votes and, and he's, um, you know, his ownership group is, is uh, approved. But uh, Baxter, great to have you as always. Happy holidays. And uh, I know we'll we'll catch up soon here, man. Sounds good, Woj. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bax. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.